1: This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. And we begin in Los Angeles where residents may start looking differently at those gleaming, brand-new high-rises downtown. Many of them are now associated with the pay-to-play scandal that yesterday led to the arrest of City Councilman Jose Huizar on federal racketeering charges. The FBI says the longtime councilman shook down real estate developers looking to get projects approved for $1.5 million in bribes and campaign donations. Huizar doesn't automatically lose his seat on the L.A. City Council just because he's been arrested, but his colleagues did vote 14 to nothing to suspend him from the council. KCRW's Anna Scott has more.
2: The arrest wasn't a complete surprise. The FBI raided Weizar's offices almost two years ago, and four other people were already charged in the corruption scheme. But legally, there wasn't much his colleagues could do to force him out until he was charged with a crime. Now they've voted to suspend him. They can't force him out of office completely, according to the city attorney's office, but they can appoint a replacement during the suspension. Mayor Eric Garcetti is calling for Weizar's successor to take over now. Former state Senate leader Kevin DeLeon was elected to fill the seat at the end of the year anyway. Now, DeLeon says he's working with City Council President Nuri Martinez to step in as soon as possible. It's less clear what the council will do to address a lack of trust in City Hall, with the FBI probes still ongoing. Councilmember David Rue wants an inspector general to investigate city council corruption. He tweeted that ending pay-to-play politics does not end with Huizar's arrest. For the California Report, I'm Anna Scott in Los Angeles.
1: There is a spike in reported cases of COVID-19 around our state, and it's not entirely clear why. Health experts say there's no real evidence that recent protests led to it. KQED's Laura Clivens reports. Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo heads the Epidemiology and Biostatistics Department at the University of California, San Francisco. She says that while coronavirus cases and hospitalizations are rising in California.
2: My guess, given the timing and given the locations, is that this has as much to do with just reopening the economy as it does with any discrete events like the protests. Bibbins-Domingo believes there are a few reasons why this is so. Most of these protests were outdoors, and we know that outdoors is generally safer. And at least what I saw on television, many people, most people were wearing masks. She also says protesters may be younger and have mild
1: or no symptoms but that they could still spread the virus. bibbins Domingo says that if you go to a protest, there are ways to lower your risk of contracting and spreading the virus. Wear a mask, keep your distance, and get tested afterwards. But wait at least seven days. For the California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. Right now, the coronavirus is inside 19 correctional facilities that we know of. Among the worst, San Quentin where there are 407 inmates with active infections. Yesterday, the State Senate Committee on Public Safety announced it's holding an oversight hearing to shed light on decisions made by the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation that many believe made prison outbreaks much worse. Earlier, I spoke with Don Spector of the Prison Law Office, and I began by asking him within the prison population who's most at risk.
3: In general terms, the people most at risk are the same ones who are most at risk in society, the people who are older. Just as uh, we've seen a lot of deaths in nursing homes, uh, we've seen a lot of older folks in prisons being uh, of the 19 who are uh, have died as a result of COVID so far. And so what we're trying to do and what the state has actually agreed to try and accomplish is to get those older folks out of the dormitories first.
1: You've talked about reducing the prison population. On top of that, what is the Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation not doing that they should be?
3: Well, first of all, they're, as far as I know, um, they're supposed to open intake again to various counties, and that that's a problem since they can't handle the population that they have at the moment, and introducing other people who may be test positive and uh, bring the virus into the prison system is very problematic and very dangerous. So we're concerned about that. Also, we're concerned that they haven't been testing that staff members who uh, go in and out of the prisons from the community. Uh, they've done some screening, but they aren't doing testing. So you have... Probably, without a doubt, you have some asymptomatic staff members, employees, correctional officers, and other workers coming into the prisons who are contagious and therefore spreading the virus inside the prison. So they have provided us with a testing program that they want to implement, and we're evaluating that now. But the problem is they should have been doing this uh, several months ago.
1: Is it your sense that Governor Gavin Newsom has been involved enough in this issue? I mean, it doesn't appear that he's come forward with any statement holding the department accountable.
3: Yeah, as far as we know, uh, he certainly hasn't said anything to us. He hasn't said very much, if anything at all. Publicly, he's been uh, letting the Secretary of Corrections take the heat for uh, reducing the population, even though he must have approved it. We, were, we hoped uh, such a progressive governor and someone who's doing a great job leading the state in this pandemic uh, would be more responsive to the needs of the people who are literally trapped in, in these uh, environments and can't get away from the disease.
1: All right. Don Spector from the Prison Law Office. Thank you so much for your time.
3: Thank you, Lily. I appreciate it.
1: When we asked the governor's office for comment, they referred us to the corrections department. In a statement, Corrections says it has worked tirelessly to implement measures to protect staff, the incarcerated population, and the community at large. The new state budget brokered by the governor and Democratic legislative leaders this week includes two important victories for undocumented immigrants in California. But advocates say the accommodations leave a lot to be desired. KQED Politics Editor Scott Schaefer reports.
0: Democrats in the legislature fought for and got the expansion of two programs that currently exclude undocumented immigrants. One is a cash payment for working families known as the California Earned Income Tax Credit. The other will allow undocumented seniors to qualify for health care under Medi-Cal. Orville Thomas with the California Immigrant Policy Center says there are two ways to look at it.
4: One is they are very important first steps, but the second way is that we're in the middle of a global health pandemic and an economic recession, and our communities need help, and what was agreed upon in the budget just
0: doesn't do enough. For starters, the tax credit will only be available to low-income families with children under the age of six. Advocates say that leaves out the vast majority of undocumented families. And on the question of Medi-Cal for undocumented seniors, Thomas notes it's totally unclear when and how that benefit will be made available.
4: So what we're telling seniors is, yes, we see you, we know that you're suffering, we know that you are still giving back to the state, but we can't guarantee you any health
0: care coverage. While some immigrant advocates see the budget as a half loaf or less, Manuel Pastor, director of the Center for the Study of Immigrant Integration at the University of Southern California, says it acknowledges the role immigrants play in California, regardless of legal status. They're deeply uh, nested into our social structure in terms of communities, businesses, and family formation. And as a result, We need to make sure that we're doing right by them because they're part of our California community. Pastor says these steps matter because undocumented immigrants are not eligible for federal benefits, even though they pay federal taxes. For The California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer.
1: Well, with the economy in a slump because of the pandemic, many out-of-work Californians now rely on unemployment checks to make ends meet. But getting that check has not been easy, and lawmakers have noticed. In a tweet thread that he tagged with the hashtag EDDFailOfTheDay, Bay Area State Assemblyman David Chu slammed the state's Employment Development Department, saying the agency is failing Californians. State Senator Scott Weiner of San Francisco says he understands the unemployment numbers are unprecedented, but enough is enough. People need their benefits.
3: The EDD situation... Has been a complete disaster. The system has simply broken down, and it's unacceptable for someone to have to wait two or three months to get unemployment benefits to which they are entitled. This is causing real harm to people.
1: Lawmakers say they're not getting the response they need through proper channels. And Chu plans to tweet regularly with the hashtag EDDFailOfTheDay. In a statement, the EDD says staff are working around the clock to handle the influx of claims and is in the process of a hiring effort to bring in nearly 5,000 staff. Like many corners of society right now, academia is in the middle of a reckoning. Systemic racism, tolerated for so long, is now front and center. Our colleagues at the KQED Science Desk have been speaking with black scientists and academics about their lives and work and how things need to change. We begin with reporter Kevin Stark.
4: Renetta Garrison-Toll is a black administrator at UC Davis working to improve diversity in the university's science departments. She says after George Floyd's killing, the university's small number of black faculty were asked by white colleagues to help them understand racism in science. She says she hopes to see some real soul-searching in STEM fields around
2: Issues where people have been left out, kicked out, um, thought to be not as capable.
4: Exhausted, faculty of color paused for the recent shutdown STEM protest while their white colleagues discussed how to dismantle racism in their fields. Toll calls this a period of awareness raising.
2: This is a real issue. We need to confront it. There are histories that we need to think about. And um, that's important. She says
4: the next step is to stop racism from being perpetuated. Here's my colleague, Daniel Venton, who spoke with a laser physicist at San Francisco's Exploratorium. Desiree Whitmore knows firsthand what it's like to be targeted for her skin color in the halls of academia.
1: How many times did my colleagues get stopped in the hallway by professors asking, like,
4: do you belong here? Like, should you be here? None of them. It happened to her.
1: This professor who's like, Freaking Nobel Prize winner, just basically told me to leave because I don't belong here. And I know him, right? Like, I
4: have had whole conversations with him. Today, she has her PhD in physics and promotes equity and justice in science education in several ways. One is
1: just by existing, by being who I am and being at the head of the classroom and teaching teachers. Like, look, I'm a real scientist and I made it here, and I learned science, and I exist.
4: And she focuses lessons around curiosity and hands-on exploration, which she says is more inclusive than lecturing. Here's my colleague John Brooks, who spoke with the director of a medical clinic in San Francisco.
5: After the killing of George Floyd, Dr. Fred Pitts felt like he wanted to speak about his own frequent encounters with racism. So he made a Facebook video and did not spare any of the ugliness. The most recent time I've been called... I was in my own clinic. I'm actually a medical director, and I was taking care of a patient. He wasn't happy that I wasn't taking him off work for his injury. And he said, I'm listening to some stupid doctor and got up and walked out before I had a chance to have him removed. Pitt says it's going to take some courage on the part of white people to confront racism.
3: If you're in a room at a party as a non-person of color with a bunch of white friends and someone makes a racist joke, you stand there and be quiet. Or do you challenge that person? You know, how uncomfortable are you willing to
5: be? For The California Report, I'm John Brooks.
1: And that's The California Report for this Wednesday, June 24th. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.
0: Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, visit earthquakeauthority.com. Personal Capital, offering remote telefinance services with financial advisors and digital financial planning tools. personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems.
5: Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and die to the bottom of the deepest water hole? for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment, listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone?